Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you on a frigid winter day in the mountains of Utah. My guest this week is actor, writer, and comedian Maggie Mae Fish. Maggie is a wildly prolific writer, having worked on projects for Crack.com, College Humor, Screen Junkies, DreamWorks TV, Amazon, and more. She also has a popular YouTube channel, Maggie Does Film Analysis. She's won awards and shoutouts for her work from Sundance Labs, Coverfly, the LA Independent Film Festival, Polygon, and Forbes. Maggie and I talk about the acting ecosystem, generational expectations, film and culture from a woman's perspective, and the unconscious baggage readers and viewers bring to their entertainment experiences. Enjoy my conversation with Maggie May Fish. I wanted to ask you a, a question because mm-hmm. we we were emailing back and forth and we ended up uh, having to reschedule our first one because you had an audition. Mm-hmm. And I was genuinely curious whether it's considered rude to ask about or to talk about auditions. Oh, that's a good question. I I don't think I don't think it's rude uh, at all. I think probably the thing it most is is like. Uh, banal <laughs> because it's like uh, for most often auditions like you'll do them and you know never hear anything uh, and that's like the majority of the audition process so yeah it's more like yeah I did it and there will be another one next week uh and <laughs> the exciting thing is like when you book something that's like oh blah, blah. but uh but until then yeah it's pretty like yeah i guess like banal wrote I, uh, fun for me because it's still my j- job you know uh and especially from an actor's point of view like just getting the audition getting you know getting into the room is Kind of like that's, you know, you're doing your job, you know, if someone calls you in, it's your you do enough work uh, or, you know, the auditions you've given in the past were good enough that, you know, they want to see you again. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's kind of just like a numbers game. And even like audition or casting directors have less and less sway over who gets who gets casted, you know, than than they used to. A lot of times now it's kind of just the producers picking so you know sometimes they'll really love someone and then you know they'll try to sell people uh you know that they like but yeah at the end of the day they kind of don't have the final say which is very interesting and you know you from the outside you'd think like oh they're the casting director so they pick the cast and like God, it used to be that way a lot more. Um, but yeah, so. <laughs> well, because I was in my head, I was kind of likening it to submitting a book, you know, for an author, you know, submitting to an editor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I got to imagine that it's maybe that's a fairly decent, uh, like, 
analogy just because it's yeah. because you do yeah. have you have several layers you know if even mm-hmm. if the editor loves it there's a good chance their boss could shoot it down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know you've got to put out a bunch and a bunch and a bunch and if you're doing short stories then maybe it's just a little thing mm-hmm. but if you're doing like whole novels that could be if they accept it then suddenly oh that's the next couple of years of your life you know your career yeah 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 it's like oh geez but yeah up until, i would even say it might be akin to submitting like like queries because you know auditions they are just like a really small part of the whole so like it is a lot of you know you do have to know you know what you're you know i guess selling or what you're playing um but yeah you don't have to write the whole thing until you get to the final (laughs) yeah (laughs) do you now i i almost kind of was a little overwhelmed by how prolific you are across like a bunch of different things Mm -hmm. um and it's and it's interesting because I I come at it and I'm certainly not maybe typical of normal writers mm-hmm. uh, in that I come at kind of the creative thing of yeah I spent the first eight years of my life working on the same exact thing uh, first eight years of my career uh-huh. and I'm only just in the last year or so kind of switching gears and doing another project mm-hmm. but. I think a lot of writers and and I think a lot of especially people that work kind of in front of the camera, that's not typical at all. They, it seems to be much more, you do a lot of different things mm-hmm. and you could be doing one thing one week and something else the next. Is that, like that, that sounds so stressful to me. <laughs> That's so funny because actually I I have a friend who who is a novelist who I just saw in Chicago um, and she has been working on this fantasy book and it's wonderful and beautiful and you can tell that she's been thinking about this book her whole life because like it is that like deep and rich um, and yeah I mean and yeah the exact opposite Uh, every week I do feel like it's something new Um, but yeah I would say that's like I think a very personal preference for the one thing I, I I do have ADHD. So, uh, I think having multiple projects that I can, you know, uh, switch up or, you know, new things are always exciting to me. So yeah, like one week I, I just did, um, voiceover work for a friend who, yeah, like that was fun. That was like one day and the next day we're shooting a YouTube video. So yeah, it is kind of all over the place, but I guess for me, at least it feels kind of similar like I feel like I'm using the same skill set in every iteration um that I'm working on but yeah I think and I've always kind of been that way as far as projects go yeah yeah even like uh yeah like uh you know in college when I would do a lot more you know live theater um you know you work on a play for three months and then you're done and then like uh you know the next project is whatever it's going to be, even like short films and stuff. And especially as an actor, you come in at the end. uh, So it's even shorter. Um, You don't have to do any of the pre-production, any of the writing. Um, It is, yeah, you get a lot of the glory for having done a very like small portion of the work, uh, which is very (laughs) funny, but yeah. Do you like being in front of the camera or behind it more? And when I say behind it, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, kind of the spread of behind, you know, producing, directing or writing, mm-hmm. you know, like, because there's a lot of different places behind the camera. Mm-hmm. If for you, is there a preference? Like, because your, your resume is very extensive in all of those things. Mm-hmm. But I got to imagine that you kind of 
see yourself primarily as one thing mm -hmm. versus, oh, these are all things that I can do, but you know, this is what I consider myself. Yeah, definitely. I, first and foremost, I consider myself an actor. Yeah. It's, it's always been my favorite part of the process. And really a lot of the other things can feel like work, like writing very much feels like work, even though I love it, it is work. Um, and I feel that way about directing or, you know, luckily I don't have to do a lot of my own producing because I'm actually, I'm not a great producer and I should never be a producer unless it's, <laughs> unless it's in a creative sense. But yeah, when I'm acting, that feels the most like I'm not doing any work. I'm, you know, in the moment I'm being this person that I'm inhabiting. And yeah, it's kind of a way for me to let go of, you know, all the other things that I might have to think about if I'm on the other side of the camera. So yeah, it definitely feels the closest to um, play, I guess, where, yeah, the other aspects, and I love them, uh, but yeah, do feel like work. Yeah. And like, like I said, they all somewhat come from the same source of creativity for me, or at least, you know, they feel very similar. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> and if like writing didn't make me a better actor, probably wouldn't do it, but it does, you know, and if knowing how things get produced, if that didn't make me a better actor, I probably wouldn't be interested in, but it does um yeah so it, it's funny because it seems like and this is from a total layman's perspective <laughs> but it seems like before the advent of youtube if an actor wanted to be a writer producer etc then that was kind of like a personal preference that was like a oh this is this person wants to spread out their kind of creative mm -hmm. you know field mm -hmm. but now it almost seems like it's just necessary that you know, especially younger people kind of coming up into mm -hmm. uh, especially like the YouTube and the Twitch sort of uh, ecosystem, I suppose, like you have to be able to do everything. And and that seems like a very big shift in the way that I guess visual media is made. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you kind of thought about at all as you kind of entered your career? Yeah, actually, this is funny. I recently was talking with a casting director. Um who said almost the exact same thing, you know, it was like, however many years ago, actors like could just be actors. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons to that. The pros being that, yeah, you can just like focus on this one area. Yeah. But now, you know, when people say like, you have to make your own content, you know, this casting director is like, that's not fair. Like you guys like shouldn't have to, um, even though that's like now becoming an expectation. So like in a lot of ways, it is like unfair to expect all these things from actors because, you know, some actors are just actors and will never be writers. And yet, you know, you have all these people being like, well, just make your own thing, you know, just do it. It's like easy, right? And it's like, no. And also this actor might not be great at writing, you know, that might not be their skill set. But yeah, as like time went on and especially, yeah, the way that things look now, you know, and especially, I mean, for me, a lot of it is like an ec economic issue. You know, I, I started doing YouTube because I needed a job, you know, cracked, went under. <laughs> um, and the other three jobs I had were horrible. And like, you know, like in some ways, 
extremely emotionally abusive. Um, so I, you know, not wanting to deal with that, I was like, great, well, here's the other thing I can do. You know, it touches upon the things that uh, are my long term career goals. So yeah, that's also a huge part of it is like a lot of actors can not make enough money to live off acting. And that has always been the case. That has why acting has been a very like affluent person's dream to be uh you know you'll hear actors about you know their parents are, are like are supporting them by like paying their entire you know rent fee in LA for three years you know because we support them and it's like <laughs> that's wonderful if if that is something that is in your life good for you but that is like such a pipeline dream that I like cannot even conceive of that type of um you know, uh, leg up, I guess. So that is the other part of it. Yeah. A lot of actors nowadays, and especially cause yeah, we want people from different economic backgrounds to be actors. You know, we, we don't want all of our actors to be these, you know, like out of touch people that can't relate to human beings. So yeah, it's, as that's the case, then yeah, actors have to branch out and yeah, do writing, take on writing gigs, do YouTube, <laughs> do Twitch. Yeah, there's um, yeah, a lot of factors that go into it. But that's why I try to stay positive. And like I said, for the most part, the things that I now do uh, to pay rent and, and groceries uh, do in the long term help me with um yeah, with performing and acting and character work. So luckily it now helps instead of, you know, juggling three part-time jobs that <laughs> make me want to quit everything. <laughs> well, and that's kind of like, that's, that's like a Hollywood meme. Like before memes were a thing mm -hmm. was the small town, you know, girl or guy who, you know, went to LA to get big, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and in publishing, there's almost kind of the opposite direction of, oh, you go to, you go to New York to get, try to get in with the publishers mm -hmm. and you, know, you try to, you know, to write the great American novel. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny how that has almost, I don't know, with, with social media and YouTube and things like that, it feels like it's almost democratized itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe not entirely. I mean, it's still, you know, you still have the, oh, the, 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 the kid whose parents are millionaires and can buy them all the best cameras <laughs> right. and yeah. all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it is kind of interesting how that has kind of played out for, I suppose, our generation. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I think that you're just a little bit younger than me. Are you still a millennial considered to be yes, a millennial? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because mm -hmm. I'm like smack in the middle of millennial. Mm -hmm. um, and so I never know like people on the edges. I'm never sure who considers themselves to be what mm -hmm. um like one of my older brothers was born in 1980 and i don't think he considers himself a millennial mm. and i have plenty of friends that do yes yeah you know yeah. it is kind of weird and and i think that i think the generations i don't know i think that we kind of have similar kind of shared experiences and so because you're from michigan mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I and I'm I grew up in Ohio in oh, Cleveland. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, like that that Midwest mm -hmm. area, you know, you kind of get that kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about this morning how because uh, I was reading your bio where you said uh, you grew up in a small Michigan town with a, a healthy uh, a healthy dose of um, Irish Catholic guilt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> which uh, I didn't I didn't grow up with the Irish Catholic, <laughs> but the guilt definitely there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking about the way that 
kind of our generation seems to have kind of looked at all of that, you know, mm. the baggage that our parents kind of carried, where that, that sort of baggage where you feel a responsibility to do what's expected of you at all times. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, man, I, I feel like our generation just kind of collectively said, that kind of sucks. Let's not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I actually was talking with a friend about this recently of, yeah, that seems to be... Well, I know, especially with, um, you know, we were the generation that grew up with the internet. So the self like reflexivity um, is something very unique to, yeah, like (laughs) our growing brains were, you know, confronted with it like, oh, here's how other people see you and you're going to know about it all of the time. And yeah. And, and it's same with everything. Like here's, here's what people think about, you know, your parents, about the Midwest, about this, about that, about this. It's a lot to internalize on top of what your parents and like society expects of you. Um, and yeah, it frankly is too much to think about. Yeah. And it is too much to deal with in, in a big way. Uh, yeah. And especially as one who like, you know, is on the Internet all the time, I get to see what people think about me all of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at some point you just have to be like, wow, I I cannot take any more of other people's opinions of me or like other people's expectations. I feel like that's a pretty common like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> no, thanks. Well, and the expectations thing is definitely um, uh, that definitely gets magnified for any creative field, I think, because, mm-hmm. you know, once you've created once you've created your first persona or, you know, your first writing gig or whatever, mm-hmm. the people that latched onto you from there, they are going to expect you to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and do you find that you struggle with kind of switching jobs because you're worried about uh, maybe you're like kind of your actor brand or mm-hmm. your writer brand or, you know, kind of what you do um, and what is expected of you as a creative rather than as like an individual? Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, no, but I uh, like I, I don't think that is like good or bad. I, I just simply have never. Um, uh, <laughs> and again, that is probably because I, you know, speaking earlier, I, I like when things are different. And often when I finish something, the next thing I, I want to feel very different. Um, and even if you look at my YouTube videos, now we kind of have gotten into a pattern of like, we'll do a very serious one and then a very silly one. And then, you know, uh, kind of go back and forth in that way. So yeah, it's never been a, yeah, a conscious thing for me to be like, oh, people like this. So I should keep doing that. Yeah. And I think because I just never want to feel beholden to um, other people. And often I sometimes feel like, you know, I might guess the wrong thing that they're responding to. So, you know, we did like three YouTube videos on, uh, you know, like weird (laughs) evangelical movies. Um, And they were very like successful in that, you know, they got a lot of clicks, you know, a lot of traffic, but I didn't want to become, you know, you know, I was already getting sick of it by the third one. And I was like, I can't make my YouTube channel this. It would just drive me insane. So, you know, that was pro- like, did I miss out on potential, you know, subscribers and viewers? Absolutely. You know, um, and every time, you know, I switch it up, I'm sure I do. But then the other side of that is like, well, but then the people who do subscribe and do watch every video, they're not watching just to see me 
you know, be snarky about like weird evangelical movies they're watching because they like me or they like, you know, just analysis in general or our yeah, film analysis in general. Um, yeah. So I do feel that not making decisions based off that in the long term has probably helped me and in the short term definitely you know hurt me (laughs) but you know I'm also not a great uh long-term thinker um I I you know again with like the projects being new all the time you know having a long-term goal or plan besides you know the standard oh getting booked on something oh riding on something would be great yeah like I I'm not a great planner for that so again just like (laughs) falling back on you know me being at the center of the YouTube channel I felt has always been safe because it's like well I will always be me so you know as long as it's my sense of humor as long as it's subjects I'm interested in and movies I'm interested in that's always felt like the safest bet rather than you know being like all right I'm a Christian uh, movie YouTuber now, like that to me seems like a risk, even though to someone else that might be like, oh, this makes the most sense. This is what people are responding to. So I'll go with that. Well, yeah. And I've, I've talked to a few YouTubers and, and it's mm-hmm. interesting how everybody kind of comes at it a little bit different, you know, mm-hmm. of, you know, cause some people that they, that they do exactly that. They keep an eye on the metrics mm-hmm. and whatever the metrics tell them, that's what they keep doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people just, they're just not interested in dealing with whatever kind of, you know, whatever the, the, those metrics are telling them at the time, mm-hmm. you know, they, they want to be able to keep enjoying what they're right. doing. Right. Yeah. And I also like, that's, you know, another thing that I have to my advantage is that I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not specifically trying to be like a YouTuber, you know, or like, you know, the YouTuber of blank, like, I'm very, you know, grateful for the success I've had, and I, and I love doing it. Um, but it, since it's not my main goal, um, you know, taking those risks with like views and subscribers, I feel like I'm a lot freer to do that. Um, because yeah, like you like you mentioned, I, I do jump around a lot. So like, <laughs> at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm not hanging my whole life on the success of this channel, um, which a lot of people are. So it would for them, it would make a lot more sense to, yeah, keep track of metrics and to, you know, be focused on like growing um, and things like that. Well, and do you think that there's um, uh, there's a certain point at which maybe your uh, um, creative integrity is for sale? And that sounds worse than it did in my head. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but like, you know, like if you woke up tomorrow mm-hmm. and a new video suddenly had 20 million views, mm-hmm. does that change your opinion on what you work on in the future? Um, I would still say no. Um, yeah. And again, maybe like, I'm sure that's not like the smartest way to think about it or go about it i'd be like oh great yeah i did do a good job on that video and then you know (laughs) continue to work on whatever i was working on so yeah it is i know it's weird (laughs) no no i'm I'm curious because i Mm -hmm. think everybody kind of has a different view on that i i I tend to be quite mercenary Mm -hmm. and i talk about myself as quite mercenary Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day i always have to be enjoying what i'm working Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like so there's 
there's certainly a sale price. You know, if I can buy a new helicopter, then yeah, I'll, I'll spend a year working on that, that book I don't want to do, but I'll, I'll eventually get back to what I do want to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think every, every creative kind of does that. And I got to imagine that there's, when you're looking at roles, like mm-hmm. as an actor, mm-hmm. is it as kind of clear cut as, oh, I've got a new job? Or does a lot depend on it? Like who the director is and who the writer is and what the character is like. Mm -hmm. Like, is that all kind of in your head going on? Or is it very straightforward of, I'm going to do my job? Right. That's super, that's a great question. Um, I I think at this point, and this is again, very like, maybe this is very specific and lucky to me. I feel that, uh, especially for our auditions, I feel like the casting directors who call me in uh you know kind of know what I'm about if this this makes sense um so uh, and that's actually to me that's a huge positive because like you know I'll get called in for uh you know like large diverse casts you know uh and I, I am very like humbled that oh that's amazing that they see me as someone that you know could be a part of this like you know, something uh, that's really meaningful. I, I do get called in for like a lot of meaningful work, um, a lot of great directors who like I really respect. And so, I, yeah, I do think, again, like me being myself to maybe a fault um, <laughs> has actually, you know, like, oh, we know Maggie, she, you know, will do these type of weird characters. Uh, and she loves getting called in for, you know, like feminist stories. Actually, I, I do audition a lot for like anti feminists in feminist stories um which i think is hilarious and they probably love calling me in for that because they know that i am a feminist so like if anyone were to look me up it'd be like a double joke of like (laughs) oh and they got her to be this person who's like being awful um so yeah and like a lot of weird ways uh that work is kind of already done for me for i won't won't say for like you know every single audition I get. Um, but for, you know, a, a big majority of their calling me in, uh, you know, because of those reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'll just get an audition. And it's like, well, you know, I, I, I'll absolutely, I will do it. I, it's part of the reason why I love acting is again, I can turn off my part of, part of my brain. That's, you know, very like analytical or very, you know, um, writing centric or directing centric. And I'm just like, well, here I am auditioning for this show uh, starring a weird anti-vaxxer, but it's on CBS and most likely I won't get it. But if I do a good job, maybe they'll call me in for, you know, something else in the future that isn't that way. Hey, Page Break listeners, Brian here, rudely interrupting myself for a bit of a plug. Making a podcast isn't free, and I'm hoping that you enjoy it enough to pitch in a pittance. To do so, head on over to patreon.com pagebreak, where you can toss as little as $3 a month into the tip jar, $5 a month to get the podcast ad-free and early, and $10 a month to hear your name in the credits and feel a smug sense of superiority. You can also buy my books from your favorite retailer or direct from my website. Thanks to everyone who contributes. Now back to me. You mentioned kind of the way that you try to vary it up a little bit with doing serious videos versus silly videos, mm-hmm. but there's a, a theme that in in your videos and in a lot of stuff that kind of 
I think a lot of us kind of grew into adulthood. Like I talked with uh, Robert Brockway about how I kind of grew into adulthood reading cracked.com. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us kind of grew into adulthood with this sort of comedy and drama. Maybe drama is not the right word, but like kind of the John Stewart kind of thing mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. this. We're going to look at very serious things through a funny lens. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of wondering where that came from. And, and I was wondering if you knew, cause I, mm-hmm. I like just off the top of my head, it was like kind of almost, okay. Was it because we all grew up kind of getting punched in the face by arrested development, West wing and John Stewart mm-hmm. all at the same time? Where does that come from? That's really funny. Cause those are three shows I never watched growing up. <laughs> I Really? That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't watch Arrested Development until um, until I was in college. Same with John Stewart. Um, I grew up on like Seinfeld and like SpongeBob, uh, which is, I think, probably like the opposite of that. I don't know where it comes for me, at least you know, film in particular. It did come from I, a lot of the comedy I did. Uh, you know, before in my more formative years um, was definitely silly, but I, you know, always had the actor inclination of, well, but I want the characters to feel, you know, real or at least ground them, even if they're very silly, you know, I want them to feel um, true to me. Otherwise I'm not going to have that much fun. Um, And I think at least for me, that's kind of where it stems from where it's like, I still want my comedy to feel true because uh, you know, I like to play comedic characters that are still true. So I think it's a little bit of that. And then again, like I said, specifically with film, uh, you know, going to film school. And the thing is, is like, like our film, I was actually a theater major, but I had, I had a film minor. Um, I spent most of my time with the film studies kids. Uh, and, you know, it was like 50% men, 50% women. Uh, I would work with women all the time in a film capacity. But all of the movies that we had to watch for class were made by men, directed by men, written by men. Every single day we'd have to learn, you know, just hit the head over and over again of how male dominant this field is. And then in reality, it being so different because of how many women we, you know, we worked with together, like on film sets, you know, and just reality not feeling like it's reflected um, in any sort of uh, academic sense. So, you know, part of the thing of like making funny videos, but that feel true is like, I like making funny videos about film that feel true from like a woman's like outside perspective because we've been pushed out of the, you know, that particular um part of the industry for so long and it's like when i you know when i speak from a feminist perspective like i'm speaking from my own perspective but also from so many like women directors and creatives perspectives um yeah that it's like you know a lot of times when i make a video i'm surprised that people haven't said it already because i feel like i've i've already heard it so many times you know but that is just because, you know, I happen to know a lot of women creatives, women directors, women producers who, you know, we say these things to each other all the time. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's not new to us because uh, that's what we talk about after class, after we watch, you know, our 15th like Clint Eastwood movie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to other people, it is new because, you know, if you're not confronted with these ideas in the classroom, then, you know, wh- where will you be? So that perspective 
thing is is a really interesting thread to pull on mm-hmm. because I think from kind of my I don't know maybe maybe a generous uh, opinion mm-hmm. is that it, it feels like there's so many people who don't necessarily hate a thing like if, for instance watching movies from female directors mm-hmm. it's just that they don't have any exposure yes yeah you get that mm-hmm. a lot where where there's this weird cycle of especially on social media you get the cycle of okay is whose fault is it that something's not being made Mm -hmm. and oftentimes it's pretty easy to trace it back to you know like hollywood being a boys club Mm -hmm. it's very obviously a boys club Mm -hmm. but then you kind of go oh well then but the the people watching aren't you know they're not seeking out the right sort of media and you say okay but they're not being given the media you know Mm -hmm. they've got a day job they've got stuff to do they're not thinking about who's Mm -hmm. making it Mm -hmm. they're just going to see what looks fun and I, I feel like that happens a lot in the writing world because I grew up reading epic fantasy by predominantly old white bearded dudes, mm-hmm. um, which I am, you know, I'm 35 and I'm already an old white bearded dude. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's that kind of thing where, where I sometimes, you know, I'll be on a panel mm-hmm. and somebody will say, well, who are your female influences? And I'll kind of have to say, you know, as a teenager, I didn't really have any, mm-hmm. you know, no librarians gave me anything. I didn't think about it at all. I grew up with four brothers, yeah, you know, like yeah. I don't, I, no exposure whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that, especially with like the YouTube kind of ecosystem, it seems like it, there's kind of the ecosystem you operate in. I, I like that there's this ability to kind of churn that all together and try to get people to think a little bit more about the content that they're, they're kind of consuming. Yeah. Yeah. I, and like one of our, um, unsaid said isms of our like channel behind the scenes is that people know a lot more about film than they think they do. They know a lot more about film analysis than they think they do. You know, um, you're watching movies from the time you're a baby, you know, you're watching like little mermaids. Like there are things that just like get ingrained in you. And yeah, it is exactly. It's that like exposure. It's that, you know, like explaining things from a different perspective and yeah, like utilizing what people inherently already know about films to be like, listen, you you do have the tools to like analyze and you, you have the tools to, um, yeah, seek out other films that you might like if you like this. And yeah, and the other thing is like, you know, taking a look at these, you know, standard canon of like men directors. Uh, I also hope that it's I- encouraging for young filmmakers who are often, you know, presented with this canon of film that is perfect and can never be touched or criticized. And then they're just like, well, I guess I'll never be a director because like those movies are perfect and I don't know if I can make a perfect movie when in reality they're not perfect like you can absolutely you know analyze them from just a slight like feminist perspective and the movie can like fall apart and like you know so kind of opening up this idea that like you know these directors are are human beings you know auteur theory like no directors do not make a movie by themselves that's never been done yeah and just kind of like demystifying a lot of the you know and again just a thing that you would just take for granted of like oh you know uh Kubrick is a perfect filmmaker oh I guess I'll never be a filmmaker because he was perfect (laughs) it's like no 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 and yes you can be you know and I think that's helpful for anyone you know anyone wanting to make films I think it is important to be like listen 
at the end of the day, people are right. They are just movies and it is okay to like break them down, uh, you know, and, and look at what can be improved. You know, that's the other thing of like, you know, Hollywood being a boys club is that so much of it is mystified on purpose. Like the auteur theory is a mystification of what a director does. Like, it's just this like, oh, they try to make it sound so mysterious. You know, he just goes into a hole and comes out with, you know, a a perfect criterion uh, film, which is just like not at all the case. So yeah, any demystifying that we can do, I think is, yeah, you don't want a young person to be, you know, discouraged, um, especially going to, I think film school can do it like a number on creatives who, you know, want to make something really important. And then, you know, there, there are good and bad. And again, you know, I, I was a theater major. I wasn't even a film major. You know, I just took the theory classes. But yeah, you know, just having a lot of friends that were also in the program. It can suck, again, to just be told over and over again, like, all these movies are perfect. They're all made by men. Period. Bye. You know, <laughs> here's our <laughs> diploma. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> well, and that's, it, it's weird because so many so many of the like the the filmmakers and you know and you get this with some writers mm-hmm. and with actors so many of these ones that are kind of considered you know part of the perfect canon they're assholes yeah. like yeah. and and that blows my mind finding out how many of these people like i, I mean i it's one of those things that's like so eric clapton for instance, mm-hmm. one of those mm-hmm. people that I never thought about at all beyond the fact that he made music that I enjoyed yeah. and that my mm-hmm. dad enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And apparently, and it's like one of those things that over the last year or so, he's been in the public eye a lot. And it's like looking at that and going, nobody told me he was nuts. Like mm-hmm. this was never mentioned when I bought a, you know, a new album when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. It's weird how it can fly under the radar because you know, people just say, oh, well, they're just, they're great. Uh, one of the best guitarists in the world of in history. You don't think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I like to, especially like, you know, young boys who are in my comment section of like, you know, defending a particular person or whatever. I want to say, you know, I guess from like a, to open their minds a little bit about like a feminist point of view, you know, but you know, I was like, there, there are a lot of different genders on this planet. And for the amount of time that you are defending this one person who we know did awful, terrible things, you are purposefully forgetting and or excluding 10 other creatives who have hurt no one who are just as good talently, if not more so. And, you know, you you are preventing yourself from seeking out those influences from, you know, uplifting those voices. And then, yeah, usually they get mad or, or they don't respond. But it is true. It's like, yeah. And and especially, you know, before social media, so much of that was just like, I mean, how, how you know, without it coming up on Twitter, you know, how would you know? So there, there was a lot of that, but yeah, now pretty much you could Google anyone you look up to and probably find at least something or like, oh man, I hope they apologized for that. Um. Right. And it's, and it's weird. And it's a weird thing to try to, especially for people kind of like of our age who, mm-hmm. you know, lots of, especially like the older 
like older filmmakers, older musicians, the people that kind of had their career Mm -hmm. before we were even born. It's a weird thing because kind of culture filters down only what's remembered. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, what's remembered is the really amazing thing they did Mm -hmm. and not much more than that. Mm -hmm. And it can be conflicting. Uh, and and it's hard because a lot of times I feel like I feel like nobody kind of tells us that we're allowed to say this person is amazing as an artist and they're just a horrible person mm-hmm. and I can I can take both of those things and I can appreciate what they did right and I can condemn what they did wrong and I can move on and I can like other things you know mm-hmm. uh, and I can still like the one thing they did mm-hmm. you know they're dead they're not getting royalties <laughs> like yeah, a lot of you are not allowed. You know, especially when people like log on to defend Kubrick, who I love his movies, by the way. And I say that like 500 times in my Kubrick video um, and yet absolutely criticize him for uh, like, why not? Yeah, he's dead. Like, who are you going to bat at here for? Yeah. And it is, you know, why like cis male directors, other, you know, cis males will hold on to that one great thing they did and forget everything else. But anyone who is not a cis director, they will do the opposite. They will never forgive, you know, uh, this one uh, woman who did one terrible movie um, and -hmm. throw out their entire filmography because, I mean, we don't know why, but, you know, but they don't even, like, they are not even conscious that they are bringing all of their biases and their own like attachment to you know whatever it may be whiteness to you know power to their own hopes and dreams yeah they don't even realize yeah and that unconscious baggage Mm -hmm. is kind of an amazing thing like in in not necessarily a good way (laughs) it is amazing not even like within like the the film world but even just in like the larger you know like leftist like online spaces yeah it's still just like huh you know like you walk into the one wrong room and it's uh. well because because there is there's all these things that most people i don't think kind of even know how to verbalize um you know Mm -hmm. like like to for example you know somebody might say oh if you know their brain they don't say this consciously but Mm -hmm. their brain will go if i condemn ex-politician that means i'm condemning my father who is a beautiful man and i respect and love Mm -hmm. but is really into this politician Mm -hmm. you know but they don't they don't make the conscious kind of connection yeah they it's such a that's another reason why i i like to talk about like feelings a lot like in regards to film because like again and again especially men and and again it's for no other reason that we you know tell men to like you're not feeling stop it like that stop it um but like that is a feeling that they're feel like they they feel for their dad so they're just gonna say the thing to defend the, him and then they'll cloak it in like facts and 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 logic and and this and that when it's like no it was literally just a feeling like you just had a a feeling that you like your dad and like that's like <laughs> what it comes down to um 
But then, yeah, not even being able to, you know, realize that for themselves, because I mean, for again, like a the myriad of reasons, but it's like, yeah, like you were kind of just following a, a feeling and an impulse and society has told you that you're not allowed to feel anything. Um, and also you don't want to feel, and you don't want to admit that that was just a feeling and not, you know, um, yeah. I mean, my partner has a friend whose dad is a, you know, an ex cop was a cop for like years and years and years. His brothers, you know, his whole family is full of, full of cops. And yeah, my partner will have conversations with him about you know defunding the police a cab and he's just like oh so you 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 don't want my dad to have a job it's like (laughs) no uh, no no i want everyone to have a job actually but like no i don't specifically want your dad not to have a job but yeah it's he just he has a feeling yeah he loves his dad (laughs) and like i feel like there's like this almost this place where like nuance didn't exist before we really started talking about things as a nation and i i kind of loathe social media for lots of reasons Mm -hmm. yeah but i think that's one of the really good things that we get out of this is this idea that we can see the nuance of a million different opinions all at once Mm -hmm. it's overwhelming Mm -hmm. and it's probably terrible for us (laughs) yes yes but the fact that it even exists is kind of amazing because it lets people who felt different when they were growing up mm-hmm. uh, in any number of of hundreds of different ways, mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, sexuality to, you know, what they liked mm-hmm. uh, just to, for pop culture, you know, it allows us to kind of find groups and find other people that agree and then, you know, scream at each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it is kind of, uh, it, I, I think about this kind of stuff a lot, this kind of nuance. And, and I know you've talked about this kind of, idea that toxic masculinity when people talk about toxic masculinity it's not just talking about the way that women are treated Mm -hmm. it's talking about the way that men treat each other and the way that men aren't allowed to talk about feelings Mm -hmm. and they you know they they have to watch the football game and you know eat wings Mm -hmm. and you know go to work on monday morning Mm -hmm. and that's what they're allowed to do and and i i don't know i i think about that a lot as somebody who kind of grew up in that environment Mm -hmm. in a way that wasn't purposeful in any way right right yeah because it's and it wouldn't be you know from anyone you know sometimes i talk about this it it feels weird to i i mean i don't know there's no reason i don't talk about it but yeah like i grew up very close with my dad like my dad's very very sensitive like a very sensitive like you know like kind person my mom is you know a lot more like funny and flippant um and and yeah my brother is very a very sensitive person in like a great wonderful way um in college i and i still do like my best friends are a group of men (laughs) like uh and you know, with us having like really close relationships that are very like emotional and, um, and deep and wonderful. It just is so sad to see anyone, but especially because I, you know, have this privilege of having all these like wonderful (laughs) men in my life that anyone would feel like they couldn't have that, or they couldn't be best friends with a woman or, you know, that they couldn't call each other up and like, tell each other that they're having a really hard time. Like what a a lonely, sad thing to think that just because you were born a certain way or whatever, that that is unavailable to you. Um, And, you know, the 
I have a lot of experience on the flip side of, you know, what women are supposed to do. Um, I think I was always very like a contrarian person. So like very early on, I was like, well, I'm not gonna <laughs> do that, mom. Um, um, uh, but, you know, and also having close friends that are men, it also, you know, emboldened me to be like, I really, you know, don't want my other women to tell me how to express my femininity. I don't want men to tell me how to express my femininity. It's it's really only a positive, you know, of being able to be close with all different types of people. Yeah. And it, it sucks that we tell, you know, different types of people to be a certain way because um, it just cuts them off from potential to have me as their best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now, you um, you tweeted about the uh, the Beatles documentary. Did you finish it? I did, it? yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my wife and I finished it uh, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I, I was kind of curious what you got out of it because it kind of ties a bit into what we're talking about. And I, I was absolutely fascinated to see eight freaking hours of these of some of the most famous people in history mm-hmm. in a in a private they're being a bit performative but in a in as private of a position as they could possibly be in mm-hmm. and the pressures on them from each other and from the various people you know whispering in their ear you know trying to get them to do this or that mm-hmm. I, it was fascinating i was kind of curious what you thought about it yeah it was um it was fascinating actually this past year um this is for like a, a future video, but I'm kind of I'm working on a video about the creative process um, and about, you know, creators creating. Uh, and like, I find that type of media just, yeah, like endlessly fascinating for a, a lot of reasons. Uh, one, the like demystifying, you know, it's like Jojo Jackson. No, like that was never going to work. Very funny to watch them try. Um, <laughs> but things like that where it's like, you know, you might think, oh, this is the perfect song. It sprang out of nowhere, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, no, like here's the hours and hours of them trying like 
so many different ways to do the song. Um, yeah, so like in one way demystifying, um, you know, in and yeah, the the pressure that you talk about, um, you know, very specific to the Beatles, but also applicable to a lot of other creators. We put pressure on ourselves, you know, no matter what level of creator we are, or even like our creative ambitions, you know, there's always some type of pressure, either from ourselves or from the bank or, uh, you know, from the future or from your family, like we spoke about earlier. So very, it was very interesting. My like creative note on it is I don't know why the whole thing didn't have the split screen of the last like 15 minutes during the performance. I was like, where was this? The whole eight hours that we were watching footage, you know, you could have done a couple things at the same time and, and we would not have missed out on that much. Um, yeah. So, yeah. To, to see the various people reacting to what everybody else is saying and doing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So yeah, there's that. Um, but I do think the biggest thing is that demystification. Um, because again, yeah, you, you know, you know, that that wrote, you know, ism of like, oh, Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles. And it's like, well, uh, Paul McCartney's over there talking about royalties uh, while George Harrison's about to quit in five minutes. So mm, it's like, I don't think that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um yeah, you know, and I do think that is important for for people to see because, yeah, I mean, again, like we, you know, you can yeah, look up any person you look up to and see a shit ton of things that, you know, you could rightfully criticize them for. So, yeah, that the demystification that these people are people first and foremost. Um, yeah. And also a lot of times that like the pressure, I mean, especially in this case being the Beatles, like that turns them into terrible people. They take that pressure and put it on other people. They put it on themselves. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. And around the Beatles are a lot of other people that, you know, got hurt because they were the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild. Cause I was, I, I remember watching it and there was, there was one, uh, one moment kind of probably in the first, in the first act mm -hmm. when they were, when Paul was just trying to get something written and it, there was part of me that just related to it so hard mm -hmm. and, and my brain went, holy crap. I mean, I'm not a Beatle, but I write things for a living and I can like relate to this, to a Beatle, mm -hmm. just trying to pound this dumb thing out and hit a deadline. Mm -hmm. And it felt really nice. It felt actually quite validating, mm -hmm. you know, like as a creative professional to be like, oh, even the people that become magnificently successful, they have to deal with the same yeah. crap. Yo, absolutely. Uh, and also, I think like this type of attitude that again, I think we get we get more and more of, you know, at, with social media and we, you know, get more and more human looks at our idols. Um, I honestly think that will only lead to, you know, like safer and safer, you know, creative environments for people that when a director is accused of something, the first thing that people you know, defend themselves with is that like air of like, you know, they're, they're this huge person. They, you know, they have this big, you know, like uh, system holding it up, which is all true. But yeah, the more and more we can be like, nah, these are just people, man. Like, yeah, Paul needs to like get something on paper, you know, like, yeah, Ringo's falling asleep during the meeting. Like, <laughs> I feel like the more we have that attitude to all our creators, the less 
will be able to, you know, uh, you know, objectively support people that, you know, have done, you know, active harm to a lot of other people. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, I feel like that type of uh, media is getting more and more popular of like, yeah, demystifying the creative process. And hopefully, hopefully it's good. Yeah, I, mm. I think so. I, I mean, I, I, I hope it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those wild things where it because it is, you know, it, I, I'm genuinely surprised how many people have finished the Beatles documentary because it's it is eight hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and much of that is just watching them hit their heads against the wall or argue with each other or screw around. <laughs> I mean, like. I cannot even imagine trying to work with John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he was goofing off so much, and I mean, probably doing a lot of heroin in the background, mm-hmm. which didn't help. Mm-hmm. But you know, you run, you look at that, and you're like, man, absolute genius. Also, you know, heroin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You look at this kind of thing, and then you you look at like the reputation. Because I mean, I I don't know about other people, but I spent half the documentary just on my phone reading like you know articles and wikipedia entries on all the different people that are involved in these things mm-hmm. because i find that really interesting you know what what did they end up doing you know where did they go from here and i you know i've considered myself a beatles fan since i was a kid and i didn't know half of the stuff about any of them mm-hmm. and it's you know it kind of goes back to what you know i mentioned earlier about clapton you know like yeah, yeah. you know i i always thought of you know ringo as this kind of he was kind of the really reliable Viable, cool one. Also, he slept with George's wife yeah. and beat his own wife. Yeah. Like, yeah. holy crap! Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> dang. But it's it's funny how you kind of look at creative personas like that. And um, do you kind of consider yourself when you're creating videos mm-hmm. or or kind of doing things that are ostensibly under your own name, so not acting as a mm-hmm. character? Do you do you feel like you put up a persona of yourself or do you feel like it's very much yourself? That's a great question. Um and yeah, I I I don't put a for I try I mean I try to keep it as I mean and, and it is. Yeah, I I I really don't. Um and again that's like a a pure creative choice. I have very close friends who, you know, do the exact same thing where they absolutely have a persona. Um and a lot of times it is a lot safer to have a persona um and probably more consistent because you know you're always playing this like you know slight version of yourself which i mean like i guess i would say if it's anything you know it's a little more like snarky i guess that i am and you know like every second of my day but you know I, it is still from a my point of view um but yeah but again that i think just goes down to again this idea of like well one i i get i get tired very easy i get overwhelmed very easy um i like you know putting on doing all these projects you know it does is the one thing that i don't get because of that is you know a lot of like downtime or um myself time uh so you know being myself that for me is technically easier because i don't have to think about it i'm just saying the thing i think and like you know i i think that for me is a lot a lot easier to to handle um on an everyday basis uh 
Um, and again, like, I think that's probably why, like, I like acting. It's because, you know, I, if I'm going to be someone else. I would like to be paid for it. Cause you know, like <laughs> to me, that is work. to me, it is work to, to be someone or, you know, to play a persona. So yeah, being myself again, like not for any reason other than it's easier. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, there are different downsides. There are things that I like can never talk or would never talk about that, you know, because if it is actually me, then I, you know, do have to be a lot more scrupulous of like, you know, what I tell a bunch of people. And like, so there are things like that where it's like, well, if I'm going to be myself, then and not to say that I only say like positive things like at all. But yeah, then it's like I do have to be a little more selective where it's like I had a persona, then, you know, I could just say whatever and it's just the persona it's not me but yeah that cognitive dissonance to me is is work <laughs> like i said i yeah would want to be paid for that <laughs> <laughs> do you do you think you find yourself this is going to be a weird question but mm-hmm. do you think you find yourself becoming more of yourself and I'll use this example for me. Mm-hmm. A, a few years ago, I, I got uh, we got a new house and I got a smoker mm-hmm. and I put it on the back porch and I started smoking meats and I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something I kind of always wanted to try. And uh, and so I started doing that. And I would take pictures and I post them on Instagram and, and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And in a very small way, it became I became a caricature of myself because people would come to signings and ask, what are you making this weekend? Oh my God, yeah. And it would be like, and it, and in my head, it's like, well, I'm not making anything. We're going to go out to dinner. You know, I don't have to cook all the time. Yeah. Like I enjoy cooking, but it's not like a massive right. part of my private life. Mm-hmm. But because other people see it as, I don't know, 20% of my social media, mm-hmm. they assume it's 20% of my life. Right. And there's right. And there's this weird way of how other people start reacting to I suppose the inadvertent character that I am playing on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you run into that. Uh, yes, yes. And no. Um, yes. in like the jokes that people will say to me or like, you know, the, like, I mean, one thing that I do keep pretty consistent, um, is it like save, save Martha gag, you know, at the end of my videos. Um, cause again, like sometimes I'm like, oh, like it is actually sweet that like people love saying it and, you know, love commenting that under my videos just from, you know, YouTube video I did at this point, you know, a year ago, probably. Um, so in some ways, small ways like that, um, for sure. I, I do feel myself becoming more myself just from, you know, like working on videos that analyze media. Because um, in the process, I also have to think about myself. Like, why am I having this, you know, why am I reacting emotionally this way? Why am I drawn to this story in particular? And what does that say about, you know, the stuff that I'm working on now? You know, it's a very much a like creative feedback loop of, you know, when I work on something, it is always self-reflective uh in some way so in that regard definitely yeah i mean there there are definitely some things that people will bring up or say that i have completely like forgotten about and that's the other thing is like because i do work on so many things it, it is literally hard for me to remember like all of the jokes or isms that i've made there was someone who was like quoting something i said from one of the like obsessive pop culture discussions like from cracked and i was like i i mean i remember being there man uh i remember <laughs> having fun um 
And, and it is like, you know, like sweet and flattering, but honestly, I don't feel like I could capitalize on things like that because I have literally forgotten. Yeah. So does it stress you out thinking about the sheer volume of of content that that you have done in the past, the amount you've talked to a camera or written articles or anything like that as yourself? Because I, I don't think I, I I don't really think of it like when I write my books, it's all fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all it's it's a different thing. Like because I'm creating these worlds and these stories and these characters, and I don't kind of really try to like. I guess my I I don't have my morality bear on the page, mm-hmm. and it, it it feels like it with so much content where you are talking as yourself in a lot of times very earnestly mm-hmm. to an audience. And it's all recorded. And uh, like, I feel like I would have so much stress about, okay, am I going to contradict something I said six (laughs) years ago? Like, is is that ever floating around in your head? Or are you able to keep that noise? I think... Well, this is, yeah, when I, when I was like a little kid, uh, I think my dad always used to say to me is, um, you know, in Aladdin, when the genie turns into a bee and he's like, be yourself. Um, (laughs) I, for some, like my dad used to do that, like literally say that to me in that voice, he would do the bee voice. Um, thought it was very funny, but in a way I feel like I, I very much internalized that, um, because when I, when I was young, you know, and at like, especially like high school, I mean, for so many reasons, like when you're dating, you know, that's so confusing because, and again, being an actor, I was like, well, I, I could pretend to be anyone. I, you know, I could, I could pretend to be uh, like the popular girl, then maybe I would get a boyfriend. I could act like my cousin who's a lot cooler than me. That could make me cooler. Like I could do it. Um, uh, And there was a time in middle school where I was just like, you know what, what if I just like lied all the time? Like people don't seem to be able to tell when I'm lying. So what if I just did that all the time? But yeah, I I think at the end of the day, like I would much rather be myself and have someone disagree with it or, um, you know, or have the possibility of me contradicting myself like years later or um, any of those possibilities rather than not be myself or, you know, be a modified version of myself. But that wasn't exactly true or accurate. And not that we can always portray ourselves in the most like true or accurate way, but as long as you are, at least if, again, just speaking for me, like as long as I am trying to, I feel like there's no room for regret because I I was just myself. And, you know, if I, I think if I had early on, like adopted a persona, I would always be like, what if that was the wrong one? You know, there's limitless possibilities of who I could have picked to be. So what if that was the specific one that like, you know, this and this person wouldn't respond well with where it's like, instead of dealing with any of that, I will simply just be myself. Uh, And if someone doesn't love it, then I know it is because, you know, me specifically, which that I can, you know, I don't need to be liked by everybody. But um, yeah, I think I would always be like second guessing a choice like that. So well, and I think there's something to be said with, um, you know, we were talking earlier about kind of like maybe um, kind of creative brand mm-hmm. and, and consistency versus changing it up constantly. And the fact is, is that people in general change all the time. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they, they change what their favorite foods are. They change what, you know, they like politically, you know, mm-hmm. they, they are, people are so mutable that I, I think that you're very much onto something with being yourself makes it easy to look back on 
all the content you're you've produced and say, yeah, maybe I disagree with myself now. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe maybe I just forgot that thing that I said a long time ago, and my opinions have now changed. You know, I think that's that's actually probably a very a very good and straightforward way to address. Yeah, that. and also like I, you know, I'm a person. I said this before to one of my friends. I was like, I'm a person that like you know I'll see two tweets in my timeline that seemingly contradict each other, but I'm like. Those are both like super valid points and I will have no qualms about like liking both of them. Like who like this idea that there's only like one right opinion or that even I mean I guess this is specific to Twitter but that like even a tweet could like encapsulate like every single angle. I think that's just like ridiculous and I think it's you know and I think it's unproductive to not be able to see two things at once or to take into considerations at once. Uh, which again, like with my Kubrick video, like I can like Kubrick and also think he was a terrible person. Uh, and to me, those are not like contradictory. Um, or, you know, like I said that to my friend Adam and Adam was like, see, if there was two tweets and I liked the first one and the second one, I would feel terrible about liking that first tweet. And I was like, that sounds terrible to me. Like that sounds terrible that you would feel terrible that you don't feel like you can, you know, think that both are true or that both should be said or that people can't, you know, consider both at once. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I, and I feel that way about myself as well, because yeah, like you said, people are, <laughs> people change all the people are, people are contradictory. So to me, two seemingly contradictory things are not necessarily contradictory at all. They are both just information that you can, you know, use to either form your own idea or just like flesh out something that's being talked about that you don't even need to have an opinion on. Uh, you know, you can just appreciate other people's thoughts about it. Yeah, you know? and it's 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 a it's a way to appreciate how complicated people are, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like every single one of us has a friend that you've known for 20 years that annoys the crap out of you, but you also love them deeply. Mm -hmm. And you would never, you know, like you would never cut them off. You would never abandon them. Mm -hmm. But man, you can't spend more than two hours in a room with them. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has one of those people in their life, whether it's a friend or a sibling or whatever. And I feel like that's kind of the way that we people people can can view anything from people to ideas to events. They can view anything in that lens of, mm, yeah, feel two different ways mm -hmm. at once. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, like, and again, like talking about like the follies of social media, but we did this without social media. It's like we we love to simplify things and we love to simplify people. We love to boil people down to the one thing they said or the one idea they have or like the one label they use to describe themselves. Um, and it can be done extremely maliciously. Uh, you know, people can boil you down to a complete made up thing that you didn't say that they want you to have said. And so, but that's you, you know? Yeah. And again, like being on social media, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People want other people to be very simple and have very simple answers. And so much of the time people, uh, there's studies about this. People are terrible, um, at guessing about other people's like feelings and motivations. But yeah, the truth is that we are all very complicated. And I think it's a lot healthier to bring that into the conversation of like, well, actually people are a lot more complex and weird. And every single person that you interact with online is very complex and weird. And again, that doesn't mean that you can't call out like 
people that are simply being bad because they're simply being bad on purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, they're almost like reducing themselves on purpose to hurt people or yada yada. Yeah, that's the whole that's the whole troll thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of part of what we grew up with is the the kind of the 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 proliferation of the internet and chat rooms and then social media and so you know the idea of trolls is very much i don't know if if i can have a good conversation about that with somebody that's much older Mm -hmm. than me because Mm -hmm. you don't you don't engage with that before social media before you know you started doing chat rooms and things but you know we grew up with it Mm -hmm. that's just part of our you know online experience so you're like oh yeah a troll yeah we know what that is Mm -hmm. but you look at like some an older person getting on twitter for instance and they'll take everybody at face value. Yeah. And yeah. They're like, well, why wouldn't he be saying the thing he actually thinks? It's heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I love these threads. I love pulling on them, but I don't want to keep you forever. Uh, <laughs> so I, I like to wrap up each of these talks with uh, asking uh, my guest, what's the last thing you ate that blew your mind? Ooh, okay. This is a great question because I was just in Chicago with my friend who's writing uh, their novel. Uh, and we ate at this restaurant called Avec. Uh, and it's really small. It's about the size of a shipping container. Um, it's one tiny room. And there was this like cod soup, I want to say. It definitely was not called soup. Uh, it was, you know, like... It had a fancy name, but it was basically just a a bubbling, fishy, soupy essence um, that you dip bread in, and it was mind-blowing. Um, I don't even like fish that much, which is funny because my last name. I, I'll eat it, but <laughs> this felt, well, I mean, it tasted like it was just from another planet. It was so good. Ooh, that's great. Mm. That's great. I when you mm. when you said Chicago, I thought you were going to go the pizza direction. Ah, uh, um, uh, I mean I I grew up around Chicago, so to me, I don't I don't really I mean I, there are good deep dish pizzas, but it's it's not my favorite way to consume pizza. So Yeah, yeah. That's my that's controversial take. A controversial <laughs> opinion. <laughs> For a Midwesterner, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, that's that's great though. Like a like a good like a good warm soup. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have that in that part of the world, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It was a little cold out. I mean, the place was down the street uh, from their apartment, so you know it was a short walk, but still, it was like, ooh, you get inside. Yeah, we got all this like warm food. Ugh, it's delicious. Yeah, like it's and the and the tearing a big chunk of bread off mm-hmm. and scooping it up. Oh mm-hmm. man. Uh, it's such a good visceral part of the eating experience. Yes. I just love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> that was actor, writer, and comedian Maggie Mae Fish. Thanks again to Maggie for coming to chat. You can find links to her social media, website, and YouTube channel down in the show notes. You can find me, as always, at brianmcclellan.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. You can also get signed copies of my books direct from my website or swag from my Redbubble store. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Huge thanks to Kyle Anderson, Patrick Hunt, Elijah, Glenn with an extra N, and Jennifer and Angela Johnson for their backing on Patreon.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.